Welcome to the Factory Futurist Podcast, where we profile the thought leaders, technologies, and companies revolutionizing high-tech manufacturing. We learn from the best about how they sustain high-performance leadership in technology, their personal life, and their companies. If you're just joining the podcast, my name is Drew Allen. I'm the host, and when I'm not chatting with these fine folks, I'm the VP of Strategic Development at Grace Technologies. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Frank Hurt is one of the thought leaders in the customer-facing side of automation. As a salesperson for one of the leading industrial automation manufacturers, he was noted for two things. One, he ran over 99% of his business through distribution. And two, over a 12-year period, he outgrew the rest of his organization's business by double the national average. As the leader of an automation-focused distributor, he developed a sales model that took business from 17 million to 160 million over a 14-year period. Since founding River Heights Consulting in 2005, he has authored four books and over 500 articles covering topics related to knowledge-based distribution. His book, The Distributor Fee-Based Services Manifesto, has been used as a model by distributors across the industrial lines of trade. His newest book, Plan on Breaking Through, Customer-Based Strategic Planning for Sellers, extends the concept by demonstrating how distributors must match their services to customers who value their work. Hurt has consulted with manufacturers and industrial distributors literally around the world. For the past decade, Hurt has been following the evolution of distributors. He's documented some marked changes in the way different types of distributors operate and goes against the grain in the way he sees the future. While most consultants dwell on mega distributors and online parts guys who sell brown boxes, Frank works with companies who combine high-end services and technical proudness to help customers generate bigger bottom lines and bigger end products. Instead of a tale of woe, he preaches positioning for a bigger future. I'm excited to have Frank on because I know through the last crisis in 2008, he helped out our business and we came out much stronger on the other side. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I do. I hope that everyone is staying safe and doing their best to support the country during this time. Please enjoy. Well, thank you, Frank, for joining me today. Um, for all the listeners out there, uh, Frank and I go back a long, long, long time. Um, Frank, you started, we were your first client after you left Van Meter, as I understand it, right? Yes, uh, Drew, you were. As a matter of fact, here was my plan after leaving Van Meter. I was going to take um, a, a couple month hiatus, go to Mexico, live the good life, and um, and drink Coronas on the on the beach and 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 then um your father called and said hey i heard you started a consulting company and i want to be your first client so yeah, you know dad's always pretty uh forthright uh he's always forethinking uh in that way frank can you share a little bit about your background and just bring people up to speed a little bit on um why we should be listening to you today <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, you know, did I mention the fact that I'm the hero of American youth um, and that I know what happens to the light bulb when you close the refrigerator door? Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but seriously, here's, here's my background in, um, in, in, a, in a short burst. Um, I, I graduated from school as a computer engineer. I had dreams of, um, of inventing a computer that would do all of my work for me. Um, it was kind of inspired by a kid's book that I read when I was in third grade called Danny Dunn and the Homework Machine. I recommend it to everyone. Um, I went to work for Alan Bradley, which later became Rockwell. Um, all of my work was in the um, 
was in the customer facing side. I've, I've been involved in the technology part of it since, um, since a day um, when I was working for, for, for Alan Bradley, um, maybe three months into my career, um, the, the president of the company called me up to his office, which I was like, you know, I was as low on the totem pole as you can get. And the president of the company is calling you and saying, hey, um, can you come up to my office on the seventh floor, which was like mahogany row. They had rich velour and, and, and uh, Corinthian leather like you wouldn't believe. I went into his office and he was busy, he sat his phone down and looked at me and said, Frank, I was just looking at your resume and you're a computer engineer, right? And I said, well, well, yeah, Tiny, I am. He said, I, I, I want to ask you if you would uh, move to Cleveland. Um, I was in Milwaukee at the time and, and work on uh, programmable controllers and our other electronic stuff, um, which kind of took me back because the company had promised me I could move someplace south after I finished a training program. I said, geez, tiny uh, Cleveland, uh, I, I'm not sure. And he said, did I happen to mention to you? Um, and, and when he said that, I was just going, holy cow, this is the guy that could fire me without even making an excuse up. Um, he said, um, did I happen to mention to you that when we, uh, when we transfer people, you get an extra week's vacation and an extra month's salary for the move? I said, okay, when do you want me to go to Cleveland? He said, next week. And so that was in the days when PLCs were, were so early staged, they didn't even use electronic memory. They used, uh, they used um, memory that was like an elect, uh, a, a core magnet Cheerio that had wires run through it. And the largest PLC that, um, that Alan Bradley had at the time was um, 8K. Wow. 8 meg, not 8 gig. 8K, and um, and so I went over there and started working with PLCs and um, and got involved with uh, with kind of the cutting edge side of, of of manufacturing. I moved to Iowa on what was supposed to be a year and a half long project to uh, to help introduce PLCs and ended up staying here. Um, worked for uh, for Rockwell, then then um, went to work for Van Meter Industrial, which is a company that. Um, that was the Rockwell distributor. I got involved in all kinds of, um, of various things. Found my way to AHTD, where I was the uh, president of, of the association, which was a heck of an honor, and, uh, and worked for them for 14 years. During that time, we grew the business dramatically. We were blessed with, with plenty of success and a booming economy and lots and lots of talented workers. Uh, after that sale, I kind of felt like I was not uh, um, not really needed anymore, and, and I founded River Heights Consulting in 2005. Um, since that time, I've, I think I've written, uh, I've, well, I, I won't even go into, I, I've, I've written over 500 articles that have been published on, on things that all are tied to um, the customer-facing side of manufacturing and the customer-facing side of, of automation. Uh, the message that I have for people that are in this is that, A, you got to know what you're talking about. B, you have to understand your customer's problem. So along the way, I, I studied lean manufacturing when it was first coming into play, 
um, and um, and tons of other manufacturing oriented books, and uh, and and try to bring all of that to uh, my clients at River Heights Consulting, which is um, caters to uh, businesses that are in the automation side, whether they be um, systems integration houses that are actually doing programming and, and work that way, distributors and manufacturers uh, like Grace Engineered Products. So, Frank, suffice it to say, sorry, which year did you start with Rockwell? Oh, my God. Oh, well, hey, yeah, that's an easy one because, um, because Rockwell didn't come, become Rockwell Automation, I think, until like... Oh, Alabama, sorry. Okay, I'm, I'm good. Okay, so, so, so I was trying to lie out of that one. Um, Drew, uh, it, it was a very, very long time ago. Um, I remember the date because it was um, June 7th, 1977, that I walked in the door as a brand new employee and got my, my, um, my name tag and all of that good stuff and, um, and, and wore uh, a suit and tie. Um, I'm not sure if the suit or the shirt was ironed and shiny shoes because someone told me that you had to wear shiny shoes to, uh, to make it in this world. So, so Frank, the reason I wanted to have you on today was because you have that very long-term experience. Um, while, while companies stay, uh, well, companies in the past have never uh, really uh, encountered a, a virus or a infectious disease causing disruption in their business, you have had quite a lot of experience dealing and leading through crises in the past. One of my first questions for you is, you know, which crises crises have have you have you been through that really stand out, and what were those lessons that you learned um, and applied in in the businesses you were involved with then? Drew, there 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 been there been several, um, you know, and and I've, I've, I'm going to start off with the one that affected me personally the most. And um, and and that was the summer of of uh, 1993. That it was a banner year for rain and flooding in the state of Iowa. Um, I lived in Des Moines. Um, I, my office uh, was in um, an elderly building in um, in downtown, uh, and I was um, with. A group of customers at a um, at, at a sporting event downtown. It was they were doing the uh, the uh, um, Des Moines Grand Prix, which has since uh, not run, and you'll find out why. Because um, there there were like a hundred thousand people downtown Des Moines watching this. We're all sitting in the stands, looking, watching the cars go by, and we see off in the distance this dark cloud coming. And are going, holy cow, this is what we need, more rain. We better head to our cars. By the time we got to our cars, the rain was coming down. By the time we got out of the parking lot, the, the force of the water was causing manhole covers to pop up. And, and I remember dropping the customers off and then going home and going to my wife, hey, this, this is going uh, to be quite a flood. The rivers are already um, over their banks. Um, that was on Saturday night. I woke up on Sunday um, to a phone call 
the, the phone call wasn't for me. It was for my wife, who served as the head of the volunteer organization for the um, Iowa Red Cross. And it was, hey, um, uh, did, did you know that, that the water went over the levee downtown and flooded downtown Des Moines? And, and we said, no. And they said, did you know that um, shortly after it went over that, it breached the levee at the waterworks, that place that provided all of the, the drinking and, and, uh, and, and all the water for, for Des Moines? And instantly, Des Moines became the um, the largest city in the developed world without water. We were without water for um, for 28 days, um, without any kind of water. Um, we had the National Guard bringing in water, and and you know, and 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 um, you know, uh, and 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 my building was not flooded, but the water was up to the doorstep. I remember calling and, and, and calling one of our other locations and, and talking to the branch manager there and saying, hey, um, would you do me a favor? Would you go to the, uh, to the store and buy as much bottled water as you can, um, get as big a jugs as you can, because we're without water and we're going to need it, and then ship it over on the company truck? Um, wow. They went to the store and and um, and bought a um, hundred cases of Perrier. Perrier. We, we, we were brushing our teeth with Perrier for um, for for two weeks, um, but when it came to flushing the toilets, we had to go. Um, and and I had employees that would take five gallon buckets down to where the floodwaters ended and fill those buckets and carry them back up to the building so that we would. <laughs> so we'd be able to flush the toilets. So what were the business lessons to be learned oh, uh, at that the, crisis? The, the, the business lessons to be learned are, are, are this. Um, when, when things um, are in that regard, customers want as, as, as much pre-service as possible. You know, they they don't want you to, to send them um, a, a, a drive um, and the parts to go on to the drive. They want you to connect it. They, they don't want to uh, to buy a, an electrical switch panel that they have to plug the, the panel in. They, they want to have everything all together and they want to have it all at once whenever possible. The other thing that we learned was supply chain, supply chain, supply chain. Get, getting things um, and having them available and being ready to deliver them was uh, was a critical nature. Now that was a, a very very localized thing, but um, and, and and certainly not like this this global deal we've got going on with uh, with coronavirus. But but it still had impact. I, I can only imagine. That, that this is going to be a worldwide version of what we went through in Des Moines. And, and what, we, what we went through in Des Moines was, um, okay, we think the crisis is, is over. Okay, we, we think we're ready for business. And then, oh, where's the business at? It didn't come. And we're sitting there going, holy cow, 
It is it are things going to come back? And then when they come back, they come back like a tsunami. It it just is is like goes from you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, wondering if customers were, will ever call to a time when you wonder if you'll ever have time to get up and go get a drink of water or, uh, uh, you know, or stretch your legs because the, they, it, it just comes in a, in a blast. I, I believe that, that there will be such a pent-up demand for our kinds of products, especially in manufacturing, especially tied to some of the <coughs> products that, that we've decided we need and, um, and, and we have to rely on other places in the world. There, there will be such a push for, for those kinds of products um, once this thing, um, the storm, the main part of the storm blows over, that it's going to swamp our, our whole industry. So, Frank, what are what what two businesses, whether they are distributors or manufacturers in the industrial space, what do they need to be doing today to first make sure that their business um, survives uh, through this, but also uh, does better or is more successful or thriving uh, after the after the storm is gone? Uh, a couple of things, Drew. I I, I believe that. And and this is going to sound like I'm I'm running for office because I, I I hear politicians say this way too much. I think transparency is important. I think that we, we are going to have to um, to to become really good at reaching out to our customers even now, even at a point when 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 they're working from home and uh, and not super uh, and not super busy and. Um, and, and are wondering what's going to go on. We we have to reach out to them and tell them, here's the situation. Here's what we're into. Here's what we've got going on. Here here are all of the things that we're concerned about. What are your concerns for the future? How can um, how can we start lining up some of these concerns? So so that communications with your customers is is very very important. On the manufacturing side as well as on the distributor side, I think it's important to start looking at and developing an understanding of what are going to be the bottlenecks. Because it doesn't matter if you're building a, a, a half a million dollar machine that uh, that makes the, the dispensaries that, that solve our problem with this virus, um, it, it's going to be some little thing some some little component, some twenty nine cent item that keeps that half a million dollar world saving machine from going. You need to start understanding which ones of these things are, are going to be the, the the stop stoppers in the cork, and um, and, and what is the uh, concerns that we have towards um, towards getting them? Where could we find them? And if we can't find them, what can we do to work around the problem? On a on a side note, on there, Frank, do you think uh, do you think that this might be a little bit of the beginning of the end of just in time inventory systems, or and do you think that it's going to lead to higher inventory being on uh, balance sheets in the future? Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not certain that that I am um, expert enough to have a, an expert opinion, but but here. Is- here is here is my my semi-educated, um, semi-informed um, thought is that the 
the costs of having work in progress are so high that I, I'm not exactly certain that, um, that, that, that in a modern era that we are ready for the, the built-in cost of, of all of that thing, of all of that. However, I, I do believe that we will get into um, a, a study of, of supply chain of, of reliable supply chains, of, um, of having um, redundant supply chains, and of having supply chains which aren't all focused in one country or one area of, of, of a country. Um, because it, uh, it, it, it really does not matter that much of, of whether we're talking about foreign borders or or or, 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 you know, regions in the country, if the only place in the world that makes a widget is, um, is, is Houston, Texas, and a t- hurricane comes through, you, you have the same supply chain issues there as you would if it was located in um, outer Mongolia and it was impossible to get that way. Um, and, and I, so you think we're gonna? You think we're gonna be seeing manufacturers who, you know, traditionally have had maybe one large line in, in one location or multiple large lines in one location? You think they're gonna be looking for at geographical risk? I know that's I know I know that's very common in, in data centers today. You know, they 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 do a geographical risk profile on everywhere that they put a uh, put a facility. But I've not heard much talk about that from a uh, manufacturing or a supply chain base. Well, yeah. I, I think that I think that there are people that have been looking at that. I think there are, in fact, you know, in some consumer product um, where they are where they lean heavily on on um, Asia or 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 India um, for product who who have um, who have built. Um, surge plants if you will or whatever i'm not exactly sure what the 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 technical term that they use is but um but but where they have um other facilities on shore so that they can quickly um quickly match up and say well gee whiz we didn't expect that this was going to um that the blue color um shirt is going to be the most popular one and so um, we need to hurry up and 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 make some blue shirts. Well, th- then then they're made someplace more uh, more close proximity than uh, than Asia. Okay. So, um, what what else do distributors and manufacturers need to be uh, doing today um, to mitigate uh, you know t- to make their companies thrive uh, after the end of this crisis? Okay, um, you know, I, I, let, let me let me address manufacturer versus distributor because I think there <clears throat> there's a little bit of of, of a difference in, in in the way that they they operate. Um, for for distributors, I I think that that this is going to be a um, one of those. Um, events that teach us um, how to um, how to get around and communicate with our customers, how to share information, how to push information, and and, and solve problems with 
with uh, with our customers a, a little more efficiently. You know, in some ways, in in some ways, the world hasn't changed that much since that 1977 when I started working for Alan Bradley, and 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 I, I, from a standpoint of a distributor. Here, and, and we'll talk about here's a distributor that's located in. Well, we'll we'll just we'll pick on on Iowa for a second. For for those of you that are elsewhere, understand that Des Moines, Iowa is the capital of the largest city, and it's right in the center of the state. That's where a lot of distributors have their offices, and 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 salespeople are located there. Uh, a customer has a, a a problem in a remote area of Iowa. And it wasn't uncommon for the, okay, there's a problem. In 1977, what do we do? We get in our car and we drive two hours to the customer and we go in and we look at it and we go, oh yeah, here's your problem. You've got dirt getting into the, uh, you know, getting into the photo eye. So let's let's take care of that and, and your problem will be over. And then you get in your car and you drive two more hours feeling wonderful about how you saved the world and saved the planet. And, uh, and everything's good. Today, we've got cell phones, we've got computers, we've got the internet, we've got all of this technology, and largely, that's the way that distributors still solve the problem. A sales guy hops in his car and drives two hours and goes down there and looks and goes, yeah, you've got dirt, and, uh, and here's how to solve the problem. Well, I think that what's going to happen is we're going to develop some, some habits. And those habits are going to be, oh, hey, you've got a problem. Hey, why don't you turn your cell phone on and let's do FaceTime. Okay, now point it at the, 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 the machine. Gee whiz. Yeah, okay. Now point it at the sensor. Wow, look at that pile of dirt. Why don't you try cleaning that dirt up and, and, and then call me back? All of a sudden, we've got the problem taken care of. We, we didn't spend four man hours of driving someplace. The customer is up and running faster and, ha and they're happier and everybody lives happily ever after. And for some reason, people ha have, have not embraced that to the manner that we think they should. You know, okay. here's, a, here's another perfect example. I'm guessing that, that if we were going to be doing this particular podcast um, three weeks ago, that what would have happened is you would have called me and said, "Hey Frank, why don't you come over to my um, to my office and we'll sit around um, a, a microphone and we'll do this podcast and everybody will, will at the end will uh, will shake hands and um, and you can go about your business and I'll go about mine." Well, right now here we are um, separate from one another. We're not even using a phone line. We're using the internet um, to connect up. We're going through all of this, this, and 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 guess what? Um, it's going to turn out wonderfully. Now that's for that's that's for um, distributors, for manufacturers. I think of this. We talked about redundancy in manufacturing. We talked about having different kinds of plants. Um, in some instances, we're going to have a plant on the west coast, a plant somewhere down in. Um, in Texas, I'll pick on Texas. That's my uh, that's my, my uh, I'm, I'm an expatriate Texan. So I'll say 
We have a plant on the West Coast, a plant in Texas, and a plant in Boston. And they're all three very, very similar. As a matter of fact, they've got the same machinery. And, um, and, and, and right now, we've got three different guys who kind of sort of understand the, 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 the manufacturing equipment in each of those. Well, guess what? We've got the capabilities today to, to do remote monitoring and do remote programming and do remote tweaking of the, of the equipment um, live and, um, oh, you know, in person or live via the internet. Exactly the same techniques, exactly the same everything. The only difference is you don't have um, a, an engineer wasting two days flying to that plant in, in Texas or flying from the West Coast to the East Coast. And, and you get problems solved quicker and, and raise um, the manufacturing efficiency of the, of the plant. At the same time, we still have issues and places where people, um, where people are, are, are making judgment calls every day. They walk by a, a, a compressor and go, you hear that strange noise? Yeah. Yeah, we think it's got a bearing going bad. Okay, well, what are we going to do? Well, we'll we'll either wait until it fails and fix it, or or else we'll take care of it this summer when there's a plan outing. Um, we've got the ability now to use um, artificial intelligence and use the internet to monitor for sound vibrations, temperatures, and all of that kind of stuff, and have it come to someone who is an expert on a piece of equipment who goes, I've seen this kind of equipment 47 times. I know exactly what that means. We need to change that front bearing or we need to do this or it's low on grease. Uh, all of those kinds of things are going to improve the efficiency of, of manufacturing and, um, and, and save us time, effort, money, and, and also keep our supply chains going, which is it seems to be on everyone's minds these days. So, Frank, I, I want to switch gears just a little bit. Um, so, uh, today news came out from uh, from a couple of the investment banks. Um, Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, yesterday said basically he was looking at potentially twenty percent unemployment. Um, the uh, I believe it was UBS or Deutsche Bank that said that they were looking at a twelve and a half percent drop in second quarter GDP. Uh, China was looking at a 31% drop, I believe, in uh, the first quarter. Um, how, how resilient do you think that the industrial business is going to be throughout this? Um, are, are there any, um, have you found any good resources for people in the industrial space to uh, uh, try to help forecast their, their sales uh, moving forward? I I, I do not believe, first of all, that anybody really, truly has a, a, a good handle on it. Uh, thankfully, I'm, I'm not being interviewed by um, Maria Barcelona on TV where she would be, you know, really pressuring me to come up with a number. Um, I, I, I would say this after, um, after the... Uh, the bubble or, or financial drop off in, um, in, in uh, 2008, actually, I th 
for the automation world in North America, it, it hit sometime around October 1st of 2008. There was like stepping off a cliff and there was a drop off of business of somewhere in the neighborhood of um, between 28 and 34%, depending on what part of the country you were in. I, I, I totally believe that we're going to see um, a, a drop off of that um, magnitude. Um, I, I further believe, though, that since that one was created by a financial problem, this is caused by a human problem. Um, once we get the virus under control, and I'm not so saying solved, I'm, I'm just talking about someone comes up with something that says, okay, you know, we can't keep you from getting it, but when you get it, you're not going to die. We're just going to give you this drug and you'll be sick for a couple of days, but then you'll be back to normal. Um, I, I would expect there would be um, a rather um, um, quick uh, pickup to the business. Um, I think that there is, um, it is certainly on industrial equipment which, uh, you know, and the manufacturing in North America, um, that, that there will be a pent-up demand um, either, either for people who have decided to start making things here versus elsewhere or, um, or for people who are making things that, um, that are government-mandated or uh, mandated by society. I think that that's going to be a, a, a very, very brisk business. And quite frankly, I, I think that, uh, you know, it, there is going to be a, a bit of a surge of, um, of, of products, you know, consumer-based products, because um, let's face it, um, at, at this particular point in time, um, anybody that's got any money can't go spend it. You know, I mean, there's only so many groceries you can buy. And, um, and, and aside from uh, spending a fortune in toilet paper, which some people seem to think is going to be the currency of the, uh, of, of the post-coronavirus um, uh, world, um, you know, I, I, I just think that there's going to be, um, there's going to be a spend-a-thon for those who have money. And, um, you know. Um, <laughs> Sounds like a little bit of a, uh... You know, finally, maybe a little bit of light at the end of that tunnel. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, we have to, we have to, to, to not be pessimistic. I, uh, I come from, um, you know, I have two small, two small towns that I claim as, uh, as my hometown. One of them happens to be in central Illinois. That's the town that my grandparents lived in. My parents grew up in, and they have a website that's devoted to. Um, to, to history in this small town of about 8,000 people and, and where coal mining was, uh, was one of the, the big things. And, and they have been running each day, um, you know, and I don't know how, they, how they've matched it up because it's not like a one-for-one one on this day in, in, in um, 1919, but um, during a series of days in 1919, We've been reading the news from the, the Christian County papers where they talked about first, um, the, the government says um, we, we need to, to limit exposure of people 
um, to the Spanish flu, and 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 the deaths were were happening in a in a in a community that maybe had twelve thousand people in the total community. Um, well, the, the deaths were happening twenty per day. Um, to to them saying, okay, we're going to close down all of the saloons in um, in these towns and listing off the towns, uh, which is kind of mirroring what we're doing right now. The only difference is, is back then we had nothing. People um, and and furthermore, um, my ancestors uh, were either farmers there or coal miners. So can you imagine working in a cramped-in space down underground with a, a team of about 10 people breathing the same and coughing up um, coal dust and Spanish influenza virus? Uh, people died. And, and, and you know what happened um, the next year, 1919, okay, and we had that terrible thing. And then the next year was the start of what? The Roaring Twenties. So, you know, so it comes back and, um, you know, and I, 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 I think we're far more lucky than our, um, than our forefathers for sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we actually have uh, medical care. <laughs> yeah. Well, they had, no they, they, had, they had medical care then they, they took them to, to um, the hospital and they died. <laughs> well, I, uh, we, yeah, that, I hope the situation is better than uh, than that. I, I, you know, I, and 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 um, you know, we're getting away from from technology and manufacturing, but but yeah, I I I have every reason to believe that um, that uh, that no, we 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 have no other way to believe except to say this thing's going to end, and when it ends, um, we, we might be down twenty percent, we might be twenty percent unemployment. Um, that won't be a new world's record for the U.S., even if it's twenty percent. And uh, and furthermore, we we will will work our way out of it, and um, you know, and and we will create something that I hope is better on the other side, uh, and I'm I'm quite certain it will be. So, Frank, uh, there's there's kind of three different groups of people I kind of like for you to speak to. One is just the frontline worker, whether that's the customer support person working at the distributor, the manufacturer, or the um, or the salesperson. The second is kind of the manager who's looking after those those team members. And then the, the third is the executive leader. Um, what what pieces? What, what different advice do you have for those kind of three different levels? Um, and, and how would you encourage them over the next few weeks? Um, the the first thing let, let's let's talk about you know the customer service the uh, the sales guys the the people who are 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 looking at and um, and and studying uh, their customers and um, and providing solutions and suggestions for solutions and expert advice to their customers. This this is a time to um, to 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 better understand your customer. This is a time for for you to um, to stay in contact with your customers, even if it's to call and say, "Hey, are you still well? Is there anything else I can provide you? I'm not going to bug you with a, with a sales pitch, but if you have a problem, 
um, I have the resources to, to assist you. And, and those resources are going to be different than you're used to. Instead of me hopping in my car and driving two hours to see you, um, I'm, I'm going to invite you to, uh, to come on to a video chat. Um, instead of, uh, instead of me coming all the way over there to look, to see if you've got dirt on a switch, I'm going to ask you to turn on your cell phone and show me a picture. Um, I, I am going to, um, I'm going to do all of those things for you. And if, if I happen to have, um, an electronic, uh, web store, um, I, I am going to use that electronic web store to not to sell you stuff, but to send you the product data and the product data sheets that you need if you're working from home or if you're hunkered down in, in the back office, uh, uh, away from your normal group of people, away from your catalogs, away from all your drawings and whatever. I, I'm going to send that information to you electronically. And if you don't have it, don't worry. I can get it and, and I will send it to you even if I have to scan it out of my own personal catalog. That's the first thing that I, I would say to, to those people that are facing the customers. I would be um, very, very open with my customers and say, hey, um, you know, here are some of the products that we think will be in short supply. It, you know, and here's a special word for, for distributors, you know, that sell, for instance, like, like lighting. Um, most of the LEDs in this world are made in, in, uh, in Asia. Um, we could have um, an issue with, uh, with, uh, with supply on those for a longer period of time. Identify that with your customers. Talk to your customers about other options. Um, we, we still have um, some, some old technology that will work. Um, recommend that um, if, if need, pardon me, if need be, reach out to competitors, reach out to people who are, um, uh, you know, who, who, who sell the same kinds of things that you and, uh, and establish a relationship there where perhaps you can help your customer by um, bartering some of your uh, inventory for some of their inventory. Um, we're in a crisis situation, so competitors help one another so that we can help and, and, and have healthy customers. So that, that, is, um, that is for the, the customer-facing people, uh, manufacturers and distributors. The, the other thing I would tell people is this. Um, I, I, I was invited this morning at 10 o'clock in the morning to, to visit um, the director of the River Music Experience in Davenport. The, that's a, uh, uh, for those of you that are outside of our area, that's a, that's a um, quasi-museum. What it is, is it, it is something that brings music to kids and, um, and adults alike, provides music, entertainment, and education. And, and it's closed because of uh, mandates from the state. The, uh, the, the director of, of the educational part is, is holding um, a one-hour little musical education program and broadcasting it live on the Internet. It, it, I only had a chance to watch 10 minutes, but it was great. 
It was something that should have been done a long time ago, but all of a sudden, um, necessity forced it. So, so understand that you have customers who may or may not be fully engaged and that training is super important. That, that I have said this over and over again for those who, who uh, market and sell um, technology products, training is the new marketing. If you can train product, not, not an advertisement, mind you, but a, this is how you use this. This is how you apply the Internet of Things to solve problems. If, if you train people, they will remember that and they will remember you. So, so that's, uh, that's, that's another thing for those people. Moving. Yeah, now what about the managers, Frank? I, I, I was getting ready to say, let's talk to the managers. Here's, here's the issue, Mr. Manager. Um, you, you need to protect your employees because many of them are going to be young, gung-ho people. I couldn't help but notice the other day um, a, a group of on, on TV, an interview with, um, with young people who have braved the coronavirus um, not to do something good for, for humanity or mankind, but to go to the beach in Daytona. Um, and, uh, and, and, and seeing that, you know, young, younger people, and, and I'm not saying this as a slam, I'm not a millennial basher by any means, shape or form, um, but younger people tend to be bolder and, and, and more willing to take risks than, than older people. And you are going to have young salespeople and young people who are going to say, Hey, this customer's got a problem and I'm going to solve it. By golly, um, coronavirus be damned full speed ahead. Um, you're, you're going to have to set some guidelines for your people. And, and why, do, why do I say you need to protect your people? Because in our world, and this is the world of people that are engineers, technicians, um, experienced uh, machine scientists and computer programmers, we are, we are facing a, a crisis-like situation in terms of shortage of supply. There aren't enough of them to go around, and you sure as heck don't want to lose any unnecessarily, whether it be by health or, 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 or else by um, unnecessary layoffs. Because if, if, if you can't you know, if, if you can't keep your people, if there's a crisis, and, and Lord knows, I, I'm, I've been in business now for, um, gosh, 20-some years, I'm in business for myself where I'm making payrolls and all that good stuff. And, um, and, and so sometimes you have to sacrifice because if you can keep that employed, he's going to help or she's going to help you grow when, when the time comes. and um, and, and they're in short supply. For, no. for the people in, in Mahogany Row that are sitting in the C-suite offices, I, I, I'm, I'm going to... Does Mahogany Row exist anymore, Frank? <laughs> Pardon me? Does Mahogany Row exist anymore? Uh, you know, I, I'm, I can't help but believe... No, I, and I've been in some, yes. Yes, they, they still have those kinds of offices. They're out of style now, but... Uh, Sometimes we inherit them, 
And, um, and you can tell, um, you know, this is the guy that's sitting in the corner office with windows on two sides and, um, and, and an office chair that costs more than your car. Um, <laughs> no, that, that's, that's not true because that, that, that is so cliche in 1970-ish. But, um, but anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll make some fun. Uh, the, you know, here's, here, here is the issue. It is going to be very, very tough um, sitting with your stockholders and sitting with, with all the people and saying, we, we need to protect our infrastructure. We need to, uh, we, we need to, uh, to do things. But I, I, I truly do believe that um, the government is setting some really, really um, expectations normally applies to high expectations they're setting some expectations of of, of terrible turn terrible turmoil and um and that's going to be in your benefit um i i i would however um go through and encourage your line managers and encourage the people who are um who are in the um the worker bee roles to to make absolutely certain that that they take note of what we're going through today and 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 look at it as a period of innovation of the way they do their job as opposed to um um a uh, as as a way as as a, a time of pestilence and torment because th- there are going to be some very, very good innovations come out of this. There always is. Um, recessions drive change and drive improvements in business. And, and this one is, is a recession, uh, not only of, of financial, but a recession of people. And, and, and I'm, I just can't help but believe that right now there's someone who is sitting and working from home who is, uh, who is thinking about or who has noticed, hey, gee whiz, I've, I've just, because I'm out of my comfort zone, I've just discovered something that worked better, faster, easier, and cheaper than, uh, than what I was doing before under quote-unquote normal term, normal circumstances. No, that is, uh, that is great advice, Frank. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with? Um, yeah. I, I, I do. I, 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 I truly do believe that um, I, I, I want to say a couple of, a couple of different points that I, I, I believe are important for, for our business and for our country is that, first of all, we, we are short on qualified workers. We, we, we need qualified workers. We need to, um, to, to, to work to, to help people learn about our industry, which for some reason is not all that, is, isn't considered that sexy in the, in, in the sense of, of things. But to me, without us, um, that's people that make things. Um, and, and provide technology solutions, it, um, the world would not be what it is today. Um, we need to, 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 to push the message out to, to young people, 
and, um, and, and to people who are my age alike, and that is that um, the, the world is not going to be a pleasant place for people without skills and the ability to learn skills. So, so we need to not only teach people how to do things, but we need to teach them how to learn. And, um, and, 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 and finally, and this is a personal note, um, you know, we have been very fortunate because we have, if you look around the U.S. and, and Canada too, um, we, we have um, ha- a, a number of people who, um, who are not from here. In, in other words, they're, they weren't born here. They were smart and intelligent and, and came to the U.S. and Canada to, um, to take advantage of, 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 our, um, of our system and to take advantage of the freedoms that we have and the opportunities that we have. And, and I, I, I'm, I'm all for that on one side. The other side of me says, you know, in some ways, are we are we strip mining the intelligence from other company countries and bringing them here? And um, <clears throat> and what would happen if those people stayed home and 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 became leaders to guide um, to guide other parts of the world? And and I you know and and that's that's Pearl's purely a personal thought. And um, some people won't agree with it; others will. Um, but uh, but but that's. Uh, that's a feeling that I have. Yeah, I feel, um, you know, I, I feel pretty blessed to be here in this country right now. I, you know, my, uh, my fear goes to some of the countries that have less uh, developed infrastructure. For instance, you know, my wife is from Brazil um, and they're, you know, they're starting to see a dramatic increase of cases and their infrastructure is not uh, where we're at, you know, obviously India as well as Africa. Uh, you know, there's going to be some substantial um, pain and, and and death that go on in those countries, and um, you know, it, it does it does seem to make sense to for uh, the smartest people to also help raise up their own countries. So it it, it, it is our job, you know, in the, you know, in the near term future, it is our job to be to be on the forefront of of finding a solution for this coronavirus issue and, um, and, and sharing it with the world that, that, you know, that, that is our, um, uh, that is our, our charge. That is our duty to humanity. Um, and, uh, and it also is our, our, our job and duty to humanity to along the way, take advantage of this crisis to develop some some cool new things and some cool new ways of doing business that that in some days people will go, when was this invented? And all of a sudden, the invention of these new techniques and these new technologies will overshadow the the death and destruction caused by the virus. Well, we'll leave it on that note, Frank. And thank you very, very much for your time this afternoon. I hope that this is uh, incredibly uh, helpful to the rest of the listening audience. And um, if you guys have any questions, Frank, how can people reach you? Um, the best way to reach me is um, via um, my my website, 
are, are probably, you know, I'm, I'm going to throw out two, two plugs. I have a, a, a blog, which is called The Distributor Channel. If you just go to Google and type in The Distributor Channel, you will come to us. We have the top ranking, and it's not because I spend money. It's because I spend and invest time to, uh, to put new content on. I, I have uh, covered every, every asset, uh, aspect of, of automation and automation distribution and, um, and manufacturers that work in there on thedistributorchannel.com or else look me up. Mine, um, I, am, I am unique in that I am the only Frank Hurt. And that's H-U-R-T-T-E, H-U-R-T-T-E. Um, I'm the only one on the planet. So if you, uh, if you Google search me, you will find a way to get to my phone number. <laughs> well, fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Frank. Stay safe and uh, give my love to your lovely wife. Hey, thank you, Drew. You have a great day and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. I'm Drew Allen. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.